Good morning and welcome to Motormania. I'm Damien Reed. This is the only interactive car show on UAE Radio. We give you motoring advice. We talk about what's happening in the car world and we let you have a voice on road safety issues. I'll be keeping you company with a host of guests all the way through until noon this morning and uh, a little taste of what's coming up in the program this this morning. Well, if uh, we're, we're going to be having a look at a car, show, car showroom here in Dubai that reads your facial expressions and it can even predict the cars that you might be interested in. How does that sound? I'll tell you what, interesting stuff. I'll be speaking to the boss here of Alpha Tame Automotive about this new car buying experience. Uh, we also had very big news, very late mail in uh, late last night from uh, from Saudi Aramco that Formula One is going to be using a, uh, a zero emission uh, sustainable fuel, um, courtesy of Saudi Aramco, for the feeder series Formula Two and Formula Three coming up in the in the coming years as F1 goes to reaching uh, net zero by 2030. We'll be hearing from their bosses from Remco and from Formula 2 and Formula 3 in the second hour as well. Imshan Giada has been driving the new Honda HRV. Noel has tried out a water Corvette. Yeah, I'm not kidding there. Uh, a Corvette that runs, or literally glides on water. And, uh, well, I'm nearly done with fixing my classic Alfa Romeo, hence why I was out of action for the last uh, show. Busy back home restoring my beautiful 1969 classic. I've also been driving the Jeep Grand Cherokee as, as well. We'll tell you all about that and a whole lot more. But right now, it's time for... Fix it or flip it. Yeah, tell us about your car and we'll tell you how much it's worth. How does it work? Well, it's very easy. We need your details, as many details as we can about your car. The make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage. Send them to 4001 or via the ARN Play app. But, uh, of course, it's not me who's giving those valuable guides and numbers out. It is valuation guru Matthew Davison, who is the head of pricing at Alga Driven. And uh, good morning, Matthew. It's, uh, It's been a while. How are you? Yeah, welcome back. And uh, I'm really looking forward to the second half of the show because your alpha updates are just fantastic. And I'm sure you've got um, a good chunk of work done on this recent trip. Yeah, and I've lost a few knuckles too with the spanners, that's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, fitting an exhaust system uh, as, as a one-man job from top to tail. Um, I found muscles I didn't know existed, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's what a lot of people don't understand, particularly when you're underneath a car um, on a creeper, on a mechanics creeper, and then you, you actually are stretching those those back muscles and and uh, yeah, it doesn't get easy the older we get. No, it does not. But I tell you what, it, it, it's immense satisfaction watching uh, a fifty-four-year-old car come back to life again. Uh, it hasn't been moved for literally twenty years, and it is on its way back, uh, coming back to life. Very, very close to having it registered, and it's a uh, it's a huge satisfaction to see the the, the vehicle you know, coming back to life and stronger and better and cleaner and more efficient than ever. So I'm really looking forward to uh, to finishing the job off um, early in the new year. Yeah, I don't think there's many uh, car people out there that don't have an aspiration at some point, maybe later in life, to actually restore a car. I think, you know, as we move into this world of automated cars and electric cars, I see this this being, you know, a, a really sought after hobby to take an, an old car and just, you know, just take your time. And, you know, none of us are Ed China. We, we understand that we, we're not going to have the kind of skills but i think that, that part of the exciting thing fixing a car up is learning and now you can do that with you know amazing tools like youtube where you know you can watch how to rub down a panel and you know get rid of that cut out the old rust and all these types of stuff you can you can learn as you go and i think 
that's the experience, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. You know, problem solving and all that sort of thing. But one of the things that, that really brought home the message to me driving an old car again, I did manage to to get out on concessional registration to take it to, to a few workshops and around the place, is that with these old cars, you do not have time to do anything else. You are 100% focused on the job at hand of driving the car. You're listening to, to little things under the hood. You're listening to imaginary uh, engine noises. You think might, something might be going wrong or whatever you haven't done properly. You're, it's a manual, so you're changing gears. You're, 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 you don't have alarms to tell you whether there's people behind you when you're reversing out. It is a full-time job, as it should be, just to drive the car. So the phone didn't even get a chance it just it was happy for it to live in the glove box and uh, and once you're out there you're on your own there was no uh, no communication from from the wi-fi or from the phone whatsoever in any way shape or form and it was uh, very refreshing i have to say yeah, it sounds like utopia. <laughs> well, I'm glad you enjoyed it anyway. Yeah, but also, you've, uh, I understand you've been very busy as well. You've, you've, there's a, a new cafe on the horizon. that you, are, you, are you happy to tell us a little bit about this? I can, I can, because it's certainly uh, open and, and ready. So um, Supercars Majlis, which is the, the Middle East's largest supercar club, um, we've done another first, and we've opened the region's first supercar cafe. Um, it's down at Box Park on Al Wassel Road. Uh, it's very easy to find because you just we're about two doors down from McDonald's, so just look for the big McDonald's sign. And of course, a ton of supercars parked outside. Uh, and the reason we we open this cafe is because we've got this huge club. You know, more than 300 members with supercars in the UAE, and we didn't feel like we had a home, um, and we wanted to have um, a HQ for supercars Majlis. And, and of course, the second part is everyone always says, when I come to Dubai, where can I find supercars apart from hanging out at the mall and the hotels? Well, now you know that you can go to Box Park, go and get a great cup of coffee by um, trained baristas serving speciality coffee and cakes and see supercars. So, yeah, if you get a chance, get down to Box Park, um, super, Supercar Majlis Cafe. It's, it's called SEM for short. SCM Cafe. Um, yeah, you'll be very surprised. It's done in a very stylish way. Fantastic. I will absolutely be down there um, to, uh, to to enjoy a coffee and have a look at some some nice guys. What what are the what are the opening hours that uh, that people can can keep an eye on? Yeah, at the moment because it's still summer, it's opening from ten a.m. until eleven p.m. Um, serving, as I say, coffee and cakes. But as as the winter comes, the doors will be open. Um, there'll be a lot more supercars outside. So I would say give it, give it a month um, when the season starts, normally around the 1st of October. Uh, and I think you can expect to see a lot of supercars there, particularly when we do our events and we actually start our events from that location. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to make sure I book some nice uh, press cars and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll park them out the front of your place. No problem at all. Enjoy your coffee. Um, <laughs> that's for sure. So uh, now the other thing we're talking about, a big topic today, a car showroom that reads your facial in- expressions and uh, predicts the cars that you're interested in. Is, does, does this entice you into this or is it a little bit um, George Orwell? Um, I love technology, um, <laughs> just full stop. But, you know, one thing I've always told, you know, a lot of people have always said to me over the years, you know, when I'm buying a car, you know, what are the tips, Matthew? And how can I get the best deal, et cetera? And I always make a joke to them and say, look, have a poker face. You know, if you, if you open the door on the car and it's the exact lever you want and it's immaculate and it's got, you know, all the toys, the panoramic roof and all the things you dreamed of, just try not to 
to grin like a Cheshire cat and show the seller that this is your, <laughs> this is the car you want. So in a way, it's, you know, you walk into the showroom, um, they're, 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 spot, they're looking for those signs. They're basically taking the old school methods of a sales guy being trained to actually look for these signs, um, mm. just the way that poker players look for tells on, on each other. Um, and, and I think that um, it's very interesting what they're doing. They're, they're, they're actually handing over, it's another evolutionary step in, in selling cars. They're actually handing over those signals uh, using AI, using yeah. um, facial recognition and artificial intelligence. Yeah, I found it fascinating, but uh, we're, we're, we're going to have a chat in the second hour about that. But, yeah, stick around, have a listen to that one, and then uh, head down to the showroom. I'd love to know what you think. Uh, text messages starting to roll through now. Don't forget, send them to 4001 or via the ARM. And the first one for you, Matt, come in. 2017 Mercedes C43 AMG with 67,000 kilometres on it. It's GCC, full options, uh, new tyres, the service is due in another 10,000 kilometres and looking for evaluation on that. The uh, 2017 C43 AMG. Yeah, so I, I really like this car because I think what they did, when I say they, Mercedes, they did this very clever, is they had this huge following for the C63. Um, I mean, it was one of those cars that you you just, you couldn't get, you know, for a long time here. And they, they, they slotted this in, so it kind of makes you feel like you've got this incredible performance car at a lot lower price entry point. Um, what did you say the kilometres were? Uh, 67,000. Yeah, spot on for uh, a 2017. You're looking around 180, 190 for that car. Mm. Um, as I said, it's a great, great alternative to its uh, big brother, the C63. Yeah, and I've had a look at uh, a few C43s, and I agree with you. I think you know the C63 is it's it's picked up a cult status, and that sort of bumped its value a bit as well. And the sleeper underneath it is the C43, and I think yeah, uh, yeah, definitely worth having having a look at it for sure. Now we've got uh, Nicholas, and uh, has also texted in Nicholas. Hi, I have a 2000, uh, 2020 or twenty twenty one Mazda CX five. 25,000 kilometers on it. I've used it for one year. I'm looking to swap it to an EV. Yeah, do you remember? I think it was about a month ago. We were talking mm. about how underrated the CX-5 and the CX-9 are. Um, and I was actually uh, explaining to you that, that these cars, um, another sleeper car, a car that you can get and you're going to have a, a great experience with it. But also when you come to resell it, it holds its value really, really well. And I think... Um, Particularly this car, you're looking still around 80k, um, mm. and you get it all day long. Um, and there's not many on the market, you know. There's, there'll, there'll be a couple of dozen out there on the market, but great car to own, great car to resell. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and you know, Mazda is still a sleeper brand here. I, I don't know why, because it's a very good brand, and uh, yeah, and, and, and it's it's there. So absolutely, um, that or uh, or an EV. It well, you know it depends on your circumstances if, if you're looking for if it's just a city commuter absolutely look around for for an ev as an option uh but you will be paying substantially more than you will for a new cx5 that's for sure uh on that resale i don't know you mean you, you you'd be better than me on evs at this stage but for, for my mind the jury's still out yet they're still new enough to uh, they're still too new rather to start thinking about you know what what is an ev worth on the on the used market but uh yeah we we, we have we have good data i mean we, mm. we know uh, that because of the shortage of of cars and getting enough ev into the uae quick enough we know that the used cars 
uh, especially a year old one, isn't far off um, new car prices. But interestingly enough, this week we saw another big step down in fuel costs. Yes. I mean, it was it feels uh, dropped down. And, and I think, you know, everybody had a big sigh of relief as well. But, um, you know, we talked about EVs are not going to go away. This is the future. Mm. Um, that a lot possibly uh, with hydrogen as hydrogen develops. But what I will say is, you know, this this is welcome. And, and if, oil, if oil does continue to come down in the next six to 12 months, that will take the pressure off uh, EV, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, going to the other end of the, of the spectrum, Faraz has a, uh, Farad rather, has a Maserati Ghibli 2014 model, 82,000 kilometres, and uh, it's silver in colour. So I, d- I don't a, know a whether it's the V6. I don't know which, but for it, it's uh, it's just said that it's uh, it's silver Ghibli. Yeah, I mean, it, the, you've got the Ghibli, the Ghibli S, of course. But mm. I mean, we'll we'll just uh, treat it as as the entry level. Um, I would say you're looking around 150, maybe 155 for that car right now. Um, but a car that you'd appreciate uh, the lower fuel cost for, for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. And uh, another one here, no name on this one. Hi, thanks for the great show. I have an Infiniti QX70 2020 model. It's grey, 58,000 kilometres. Wondering how much it's worth? Thanks a lot. Yeah, always a fan of the Infinities. Um, you know, if you look how much uh, these cars have developed, they went through a bit of a rebranding. Um, what was it now, about five years ago where mm. you, you had a lot of the fx's and they bought them all in line um uh, to qx because it was it was getting a bit complicated you know you had uh, for example the fx80 became the qx80 etc but great cars uh, relatively easy to resell um and with these kilometers which is what mid 50s i think you're looking around 105 110k for this car yeah that that sounds reasonable yeah for sure fix it or flip it. Yeah, tell us about your car. We'll tell you how much it's worth, and this is what the details we need. At the very minimum, the make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage, and you can send them to 4001 or via the ARN Play app, the head of pricing at Algo Driven, Matthew Davison, and I will do our very best to come up with a, a, a number, a figure that you're happy with. Now, on the line straight away, we're going straight to Ben on the line. Now, Ben, good morning. You have a BMW X5 M40. Tell us a little bit more about it. It's a uh, 2020 model. Um, with about 28,000 kilometres on the line. But obviously with the fuel prices at the moment, it's a little bit thirsty at times. So I wanted to potentially look at changing it. Yeah, so this is the M40 model, is that right? Yes, correct. Yeah, okay, Matthew. So, yeah, right on the, about the petrol prices, what were you saying? They've come down a little bit, but still, the, uh, the M40i X5, uh, a very rapid SUV, Matthew. Yeah, morning, Ben. Um, I mean, you've got the M40, which is a 3-litre V6, but they actually uh, do an M50, which is a 4.4 V8. So you you would have been hurting definitely if you had the M50. Um, The value of your car in this market right now is around 280. Um, I I would say it depends on how quickly you want to move it. I would be conscious that fuel prices have dropped a lot um, the last couple of months. I mean, we went from knocking on the door of five dirhams a litre and now we're down to three and a half so that has made a difference um but if you still do want to press forward and sell yeah if you do want to press forward and sell i would probably say um start it around 285 if you want to be really aggressive 275 but this is a sought after car i would consider uh going to bmw first and looking at what their 
they would offer Fuit because a, a, a lot of people don't understand that the nearly new cars can be retailed directly by the agency. BMW would love this in their used car division, and I think they're likely to give you quite a strong price. So that might be an option to look at that as well if you don't want to go out into the minefield of, of selling it yourself. Perfect. Thank you, guys. Brilliant. All, all the best with that one, uh, Ben. And, uh, yeah, you, I think you might get a nice figure for that one. Uh, now, next, we've got um, a text message in, and uh, this is um, – this says uh, – Hi, I have a white uh, 2017 BMW 540i, full options with 65,000 kilometres uh, from new with full service history. Could you please ask Matthew what would uh, be a reasonable price if I sold it? That's also from Matthew. Uh, yeah, so the 540i 2017 model, 65,000 miles. Well, I've definitely got to look after Matthew then. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, Look, from one Matthew to another, this car's about 170, 175. I do like the 540. Another um, 3-litre V6 shares the same engine as the, uh, the last caller. Um, but, yeah, this this you wanted out there around 170,000. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, I've got another one here. Uh, Matt, I'm looking for a rough value of my car. It's a 2017 Porsche 911 base spec, 65,000 kilometres, white with a red interior, full Porsche service history, but no warranty, but it is GCC. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, if it has Porsche service history, you can go back to Porsche. You'll pay for what they call an inspection, but you can put a warranty back onto that car, and Porsche will do up to 10-year warranties on, on their cars here in the in this region. Um, look, I think the value is just a whisker under 300,000. Um, the, the S's are doing around 325, 330. This will be about 295. Um, but even if you don't want to um, go and uh, add the, the warranty back into the car, as I suggested, this is a great selling feature to sell to tell somebody when they're looking at the car, say, look, hey, if you want that peace of mind, you can take it to Porsche. They'll do an inspection on the car, uh, and then you can add a warranty. And those warranties, they start from around eight, 9,000 dirhams a year, and it's actually well worth the money. Yeah, I personally think uh, doing that, it's money in the bank because it just gives peace of mind to a, to a potential buyer knowing that, um, that they potentially have no, no issues to, to worry about when they, when they purchase privately. Yeah, and it's, it's a big reselling feature. I mean, you know, imagine owning the 911 for eight years and you could still sell it with a two-year warranty. I mean, that's that's why Porsche uh, 911s and and, uh, and generally Porsches uh, across the board hold their value so well because they're well-made and they're prepared to stand by that. And, and as I said, um, continue to warrant the car up to to ten years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, I agree with you. On the line, uh, Uspa has um, a Ford Explorer. Good morning, Uspa. Hi, good morning. How are you? Very good, thanks. So you've got a, uh, a Ford Explorer. It's a 2015 model. Um, yes. It's 100,000 kilometers. Tell us a little bit more about it. So it was like a distressed buy earlier this year before the prices went up. We were, you know, running through some financial issues, so had to sell our car. And then I have kids, so we need a lot of space. Mm. And we wanted an SUV, so this is what we ended up we're not very good with cars like we don't have a lot of you know information or knowledge about cars so we were told it's a good one but it's a gas guzzler yeah that's the main issue yeah and, and did you you've owned this since new or you, you bought it uh, second hand we bought it second hand we just bought it earlier this year it's a 2015 model yeah okay matthew uh, the, the ford explorer 
Good morning. Well, let me tell you, first of all, you did a smart thing because you, you had to, as you said, because of circumstances, you had to change out into this type of car. But you picked the, the sweet spot because, um, you know, a 2015 Explorer seven seat car, three and a half liter V6 engine is a little bit thirsty. But, you know, look at the size of the car and, and the people and things that you can carry around in it. So it's always going to need a relatively powerful engine. In terms of value, yeah. the value of that car right now is about 45,000 dirhams. And that might not be a million miles away from what you pay for it. Because when, when you bought it, um, the, 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 the used car market was a completely different place to where it is now in just a short period of time. So, yeah, if you put that on the open market, it's going to sell quite quickly. And I think the price will be around 45,000. Okay, that sounds good. Well, I hope that uh, hope that um, that works for you, Uspar. Yeah, I think we could work with that. Brilliant. Well, all the best yeah. with it, and uh, let <laughs> us know you how you so go. <laughs> Great. Now we've got uh, another text message here. No name on this one. Hi guys, big fan of the show. I have a Saab ninety three Aero convertible, two thousand and one, gunmetal grey. 126,000 kilometers. I'm thinking of selling and would love to know what I could get for it. Thanks. The Saabs, I really, I'm a big fan. I like them. They're, they're such a such a quirky, but engineering, beautiful car. They don't get the respect they deserve, Matthew. Well, there's a reason for that. I mean, when I first came to the region 20 years ago, I saw a lot of these cars. Um, you know, I used to remember pulling into the RTA and, you know, want to be next to me. And I always liked the design of the Saab. Um, always liked the, the the fact that the ignition of the key was down by the handbrake. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah, so absolutely, um, yeah. I remember getting in one for the very first time. And it kind of reminds reminds me of, of, of when you got into a Porsche for the first time. And you're like, why am I putting the key in the left-hand side? Where, where <laughs> with the, um, the Saab, you're like, well, where do I put the key? Oh, it's down by the handbrake. Yeah, um, but the, these cars have, have since had you know not a very good journey. Um, you know, Saab went out of business. Um, there's very few parts available now for those cars, uh, and that's why you just don't see one. Um, I'll probably drive out now and see see a, a 93 on the road, but I haven't seen a, a a Saab 93 on the road that I can remember for a couple of years now. Mm. And unfortunately, that that is also going to reflect in the price. I doubt you'll get much more than 15. 16k for this car um it would be worth if it's running okay probably hanging on to it unless you really need to, to sell it because if it's running well i mean that kind of money uh, you just won't get anything else for it um mm. but yeah it would be nice to see you out on the road just to give us a flashback to what life <laughs> used to be like 20 years ago Back to Motormania, and uh, I'm joined in the studio with uh, Imtah Shanjado and Noel Ebden with uh, a whole lot of motoring news that's been uh, been kicking around. Guys, welcome back in the studio. Um, we've all been jumping around in a few interesting cars lately. What, what have you been into lately, Noel? Um, I have been in the Wrangler V8, the 392, which I know ah, both yes. of you have driven. Yes. Uh, I finally got myself in, in it, and uh, yeah, fantastic. <laughs> What a wild beast that is, isn't it? I mean, the the noise from that is something like out of uh, NASCAR racing, but it's... <laughs> I actually discovered as I dropped it back to give it back to the dealership that it had a button to switch off the, the noisy exhaust, and I noticed as I gave the key back, and I was like, ah. Why right. would you want that? Well, I mean, you know... I think eventually... Not to wake up your neighbours. Yes, exactly. <laughs> come home at one in the morning and uh, have a petition against you in the street. Uh, if you're coming like home like, I, I Honestly, I, uh, the most impractical vehicle I can imagine, but I still liked it, 
Yeah. Um, I, I, it's I really the furthest can't. from an alpha you could possibly get. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, it's they the had gremlins, so, so there, yeah. there, there was. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's it's a, it's a Jeep Wrangler with the with the you know, the three ninety two cubic inch V eight in it. Um, phenomenal stuff. But uh, I did. You, I don't know. I haven't taken off road, of course, because you know, we weren't allowed to. Um, but I would like to know what what it would be like. Whether that's whether it's too much, whether it just create a whole lot of wheel spin, or you know whether it could actually be usable power. Uh, the thing, the interesting thing about the uh, the three nine two is that Jeep now has a car for both worlds. Mm. So if you were buy if you were dailying a Wrangler, you'd buy the V six, in my opinion. Yeah. If you want it as a weekend toy, you'd buy the V eight. Because yeah. the V8, um, I took it, I didn't take it properly off-road in the dunes, but I did go on some sand and just give it a try. And it's just got so much power and it, it would be, I'm sure it's a real blast at the weekends. But would you want to drive it every day to work? I, I think it's more of a yes. weekend toy. Yes. Why wouldn't you? It's got 470 horsepower and it sounds like a NASCAR. It, I, I'd it like does, the, actually. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> Petrol does. prices have come down. Everybody's party. <laughs> Bizarre. <laughs> Uh, by the way, quick uh, point. They released this car fairly recently, right? 2018, 2019, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I that, was yeah. on the Rubicon Trail in America, and the head of SRT at the time was there. Oh, actually, the head of Jeep was there. And he had a two-door Wrangler with a 6.4 with a manual that had been done by his internal team in-house just for him. So they could do it a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have to ask, why didn't they do it before? Now, answer, I know the answer because fuel economy, um, regulations, etc. And people were swapping these engines. They're literally plug and play. Not that I'm suggesting you do that. But the reality was that Jeep themselves didn't do it till quite recently. And you have to wonder why. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Bronco, perhaps? Maybe, maybe. A bit different to what you've been driving though recently. Complete uh, other end of the scale. Um, I mean, yeah, tell me. So, Honda HRV, I know this is a rerun week. We're basically going through the cars that Damien's <laughs> driven already. Uh, Honda HRV, 1.5, good little city car, a uh, little mini SUV, front wheel drive, CVT. It would be, but it's really expensive. Mm. I think the prices I'm seeing on Honda's website, I don't know the exact price, they're starting at 84,000. I think it goes up to 100, which is kind of balmy because. CRVs used to be a hundred, and I think they're positioning this car as the new CRV, and the CRV is the new pilot. I don't know how it works. Well, the pressure on on the the Japanese manufacturers now is they've got to compete with the the, the Chinese and the Koreans and, and the and other you guys. Can't. So yeah, exactly. So you know, it, pr- Honda has always been a premium Japanese product. You've always paid a little bit more for it, right? Going going right back, but now you're paying a lot more for it compared to the other Asian competitors. Mm. On the plus side, you have. Good safety equipment, good quality. The interiors, I think, a step up in terms of quality. I mean, the Koreans do nice design, but the Honda design interiors feels really well put together. The steering's nice. It's got nice weight to it. It's not got much feel, but it's got good weight. The handling's pretty decent. A couple of things I wasn't crazy about. Uh, I wasn't crazy with the seating position. I don't know if you had this issue, mm. but I, I couldn't really get comfortable in it. I have an odd, oddly shaped body, as people have said. So different people <laughs> might... I'm not saying anything. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, the engine as well is also a little drony. For a 1.5, I didn't think it was the most powerful 1.5, and the CVD doesn't help. And these are not problems when you're at 60,000 dirhams. Yeah. Because you put up with the fuel economy is fantastic, by the way. The point, reason you buy this car is the fuel economy, and it's got loads of like flippy, floppy seats that make lots of space, etc. But at a near 100k, then the 1.5 becomes a little bit of an issue, don't you think? It does. Yeah, it def- def- definitely becomes a, a bit of a point when you're talking about that kind of price point. Um, 
Yeah, and you're suddenly going like, okay, well, you know, for 100K, why don't you just get like a Camry or an Accord? Except those are more expensive as well. I think the Camrys in the 100 plus, 110, 120s, Accords are over 100. Although I think the Accord is a, probably a superior car because you get the 1.5 turbo. Mm. Do you really need the SUV bit? Mm. That's a good question. I like the HRV. I think it was a good, decent car, but I think the price is pushing into uncomfortable territory. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, going back to the Jeep thing, I. I went the other way with Jeep. I, I spent a bit of time with the Grand Cherokee, the the, the new seven seater, the L. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is uh, obviously this is this is the one that if you sit on the street, it's inspired by the old Wagoneer, and that's the one with the you know the, the styling, which I actually quite like. And I I like the styling of the Americans with with where they're going with this. Very comfortable car. The styling is great. Um, it's their first real shot at a, at a seven seater, and uh, and again didn't uh, di- didn't get the chance to to take it off road, but it does have adjustable air suspension it has the quadril drive all-wheel drive system i hope to uh, to get a chance to to get into that at some point off-road the car i had was the v6 3.6 liter um 293 horsepower 353 newton meters with the eight speed auto i've got to say it felt a bit wheezy the the v6 it's old it yes. came out in 2013 and the cars were a lot lighter it's showing then. its age the, the, the it's the pentastar engine right in yeah that one? yeah i, I um, loved them in the wranglers in 2013 but it's now almost 10 years later because we're so used now to hybridized sixes and and evs that i was i was missing that the uh the 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 electric propulsion to kick off initially so initial response is what that step off is what you're looking for right i think the engine's very solid and it's proven itself in the Middle East. That's the most important thing. It's like it lasts in these conditions. But they have a new engine coming out, don't they? Damien? Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they do. There's one on the way. Um, but I, I would like to see them bring the 4 by e in, bring the, the, the hybrid in. That, that would it was be supposed to come in. I'm yeah. not sure why it never made it, but I heard chatter of them bringing it in like two years ago. I'm not sure what the delay has been. It's 199,900 dirhams. It's good value. I mean, it's a big mm. car for that money. Um, I've driven it a lot, actually, and the um, uh, it drives a lot better if you put it into sport. Yeah, uh, the gearbox is the for me the the the, the sort of weak link, I suppose. Yeah, um, it, speed. Yeah, yeah. it's just um, it never it, it off the mark. It's um, it's not great. Uh, but if you put it in sport, it's actually really good. Yeah, um, it's got a couple of excellent technical things. One, you c- you've got a camera that you can look into the back, the yeah. very back row of seats. And if your kids are playing up, if you press the button that flicks down the headrest, you can actually bang them on the head. With That's the, uh, becoming, uh, the camera's becoming <laughs> mandatory now. Yes, Motormania with you through until midday. And I'm joined in the studio by Indachan Giado and Noel Ebden. And Noel Ebden uh, has just driven a, uh, a Corvette straight into the water off Dubai. There's the breaking news. Noel, tell us what's happened and how did that come about? Can I firstly point out that I didn't <laughs> crash it? This was not an accident. I meant to drive it into the water. Um, actually, to be fair, it was already in the water. Um yeah, I I was fed up with you two keep one-upping me on cars, so I went out to find the weirdest thing I could possibly drive, uh, and I teamed up with Waterlink.ae, who are the uh, motor, um, uh, water sports guys in Dubai, out of the Five Hotel, and uh, drove a Corvette boat jet car thing. I'm not quite sure what it's actually called, and uh, it doesn't seem to have a name, but it's basically a Corvette that you can drive on the water if you... Okay. Um, We've got a video actually up on the website, I believe. So, uh, so is, can... is it is it a boat that looks like a Corvette, or it's a Corvette that's been converted into a boat? It's to be fair, it's a boat that looks like a Corvette. Yeah. So it's basically a big jet ski uh, underneath. Um, but great fun, um, good uh, good laugh to go out on the water with, and great for Instagram. I mean, it's the, it's ideal for Dubai. It really does. Uh, it's perfect for the beach shot with uh, JBR in the background and uh, zooming along in your Corvette. <laughs> I, I had a very weird moment as I was leaving the, um, the dock. Um, I actually went past a boat coming the other way, like a big 
sort of uh, yacht, Jim yeah. Palace, and I was driving a Corvette the other way in the water. And I had, <laughs> I had a moment of, uh, hang on a minute, this is not right. Um, but yeah, it's great fun. Really, really good. If only it had wheels and a motor, um, and it would be the ultimate amphibious car. Yeah, imagine. Yeah, imagine if you could actually drive into the water and drive off. But uh, yeah. You'd be all over an amphibious car, Shen. As I said before, many <laughs> times to people who would not listen and ask me to stop talking, I would love to drive an amphibious amphi car from the 1960s, which was driven by an actual boat. looks like a sports car, but really sitting really high up, and it was amphibious. It had little, basically direct the drive back to a propeller in the back. The engine was not a Corvette V8. It was a 1.2 Triumph Herald engine. That's so right, that HRV yeah. suddenly the big block now. That's eh? what you need surrounded with water, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. And imagine, not only, by the way, for people who are thinking about, oh, amphibious cars, that sounds like a lark. Not only do you know, have to know how to drive a car well, you also have to know how to captain a boat now on top of everything else. And I think you need a license for both too. Yeah, two licenses. Not, actually, that's a good question. In the UAE, do you need a license to drive Right. You do now, yes. You never used to, but you do now. So um, you, if you got pulled over, it would depend where you were being pulled over as to which license you would need to show. So <laughs> There is that... Jeep. For our safety, FYI, yes, for yes. our safety. Yeah, there is that Jeep Wrangler-looking vehicle that I believe you're saying at the Shannon's jet ski powered. Yeah, no, it's got a normal engine in the front. I think it runs a jet ski at the back as well. It might have been a Honda motor. But yeah, that thing is quick. Yeah. It actually flies. Absolutely, a flyer. Uh, that would be fun. I, I'd... I'd I'd be all over that. It'd be mm, great. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, now, moving on to motorcycles, Noel, uh, mm. Gas Gas, they've launched a full rally bike replica. Is that right? Replica they have, or? yeah. Um, Gas Gas, the Spanish brand who mm. were taken over by KTM a few years ago um, to add to their, they seem to be mopping up all the uh, smaller European brands. Um, they've done a rally version of their, uh, of their um, oh, sorry, a rally replica version of their Dakar bike. So this is a 450 that looks like, and to all intents and purposes, is the uh, Dakar bike. So if you want to live your Sam Sunderland moments in the desert, you can uh, buy yourself a full replica now. And it's, uh, it, it's re- it looks exactly like a Dakar bike. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Full big tower with the big screen. So what's the, di- what's the difference then between a replica... Dakar bike and a Dakar bike. I believe it's not just it's not quite as trick as the um, full factory bikes, basically. But it's a it's an out the box version. So mm. you could use it. You could. I mean, it's not it's not for display purposes. I mean, you could go and do, for example, the Abu Dhabi Desert Challenge. Uh, you could just sign up and use this bike and go and do it. So uh, yeah, it's literally out the box, ready to go rally bike. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Gas Gas, of course, said they're, they're known primarily for their trials bikes. They're moving into this kind of thing now. Now they're owned by KTM. Mm, well, they were, uh, and now they're in. Um, now they're in MotoGP. MotoGP. Yeah, they're yes. everywhere. I mean, Gas Gas is suddenly. I mean, I think KTM buying them was probably the best thing that ever happened to them. So, uh, I mean, it went from a tiny little trials brand that you, most people have probably never heard of to uh, being a, a big player now. I just can't get over the name. Why mm. is it called Gas Gas? Is like what, what was the other option? Car Car? Well, bike Bike? Because <laughs> you use some gas and then you use a bit more. So yeah. It's but does it have some sort of meaning? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's on my. Oh no clue. There you go. Um, I know that uh, uh, Spanish people like to say full gas for go for it. Okay, then there must be a reason. For yeah, it, exactly. Which somebody will then message us. Hopefully, get on the lines and message us. What does Gas Gas mean? Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'd like to know actually. Yeah, what, mm. what, what, what that's all about. Um, so, yeah, that's, um, that'll be interesting to see how that, that works out with a full uh, rally replica bike. Mm. Uh, or rally replica, yeah, yes. motorcycle. Yeah. Um, so that will be interesting. Uh, now, another one, that's, that, that bit of news that's, that's, uh, that's kicked in is, um, is that we're 
uh, it was just came out last night, and that is news of uh, Formula One or Formula Two and Formula Three going to a uh, synthetic fuel mm. f- um, from next year. Um, and they're using a sustainable fuel and a synthetic fuel. And uh, we managed to grab a, a, a quick chat to a few of those guys. I'll tell you what, we're going to come back to that after um, this break. But really interesting stuff, very late-breaking news about the way that uh, F1 is going carbon uh, neutral, or net zero, rather, by 2030. And it's all with the help of um, Saudi Aramco. They're the big players in this one. We had a very quick chat last night with the CEO of Formula 2 and Formula 3, Bruno Michel. We uh, discussed with them to see how we could try to do it as early as possible to work on the development plan because, as you can imagine, it doesn't come easy. Finally, uh, we got uh, the confirmation that we were going to be ready to use uh, sustainable fuel from 2023. Uh, with uh, three steps planned, so from 2023 we will use a majority uh, sustainable fuel with uh, uh, still uh, a little bit of fossil products and then we will go for 25 with a majority synthetic fuel which is a, a massive breakthrough and for 27 we should have 100% synthetic fuel. Uh, we've been involved in the process from the very beginning with Aramco, we've been working with the research and development uh, 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 department which is based uh, next to Paris and uh, we've been working with them and with our engine supplier Mecachrome to see what should we do on the engine to make sure that uh, uh, we would have uh, a very strong reliability, we would not have any issue and how it would work. And so we've all been involved in this development process for I would say the last uh, six months and we're still working on it at the moment to uh, select uh, the fuel that we're going to use and to make sure that uh, uh, we don't have to change any parts in the engine because that was something that was quite important as well. Yeah, so that was uh, Bruno Michel, the CEO of Formula 2 and Formula 3, the feeder categories that lead into Formula 1. Uh, the reason why they're trialling on those first is because it's a more of a controlled format than Formula 1. As he said, they all use the same engine. It's a, it's a mechachrome engine, which is a Renault power unit. And the idea is that they want to go 100% synthetic by 2027. And uh, and there may be other fuel suppliers involved as well. So we also, at the moment, Aramco, very heavily involved in Formula 1, obviously sponsors of the, of the Aston Martin team as well, and they've been working hard on getting a, uh, a, a near-zero emission sustainable fuel as well. So we spoke to last night to Talal Almari, the uh, the global head of public affairs for Aremco, and he said that this is the next logical step to take to, to enter Formula One. This is a natural extension of our Formula One partnership. It is the right platform for Aramco to deploy and start the synthetic fuel with Formula 2 and 3. Aramco started this synthetic fuel many years ago, and we are planning to further develop that synthetic fuel with all the partners, Formula 2 and 3, and all the manufacturers for this engine. We have more than 90 scientists working in that project in our labs in the US and uh, also our lab in Paris that we are partner with IFP there, and also our labs in Saudi Arabia. We started the testing on labs, on engines, and we'll start that with the Formula 2 and 3 and all the OEM, the manufacturers of these engines, to do the testing together either in our labs and their labs also. Formula 2 and 3 as the starting point, and in, the, in 2026 will be in Formula 1. 
Yeah, so that was uh, Talal Almari, the uh, Global Head of Public Affairs for Aramco, talking about their move into sustainable fuel in to Formula One by 2027, uh, 2026, and then 100% synthetic by 2027. They've got 90 scientists working on this in laboratories in the United States, in Paris, working closely with F1 there in Paris, and of course in the kingdom in, in Saudi Arabia as well. They're working with all the engine manufacturers um, in Formula One, for Talal said, for years already. And uh, this is their first step to get into road transport by 2026 as a zero emission fuel. Now, if you remember, if you think back to Formula One a couple of a couple of rounds ago in uh, in in. Uh, France in Paul Ricard, they ran a 100-year-old Aston Martin. Uh, Sebastian Vettel did some laps in that on the Thursday afternoon, and that used this fuel, zero emission, enormous horsepower out of this little 1922 Aston Martin, um, and did some amazing stuff. So this is this is a window of opportunity for classic car owners, for exotic high-end sports cars, so your Ferraris, your Porsches, your your Lamborghinis, to have a very clean combustion engine. Mm. I, I mean, they also ran Nigel Mansell's Red Five on it as well. They did too, yes. At the British yes. Grand Prix, I believe. Yeah. Look, I, I've always said that um, I, I'm not. I, I like electric cars as much as you know everybody mm. does, and but they're not the sole answer going yeah. forward. And this is. I've always said that science always finds a way, and this is a step towards that. And uh, and it will trickle down. I mean, Formula One has proven over the years that technology trickles down into road cars. Well, this uh, is this is. This is starting from 2026, so mm. this this is the the future for them. Is combustion engines, and that will filter filter through to road cars, not in big numbers, but it will fill a niche that needs to be there. You and I, and and, and we'll all be plodding around in, in electric vehicles to get our day to day jobs done. We'll get electric buses and that sort of thing. But uh, for our weekend toy, uh, it, it provides hope that we can still have a combustion engine. Absolutely, yes. I think I have an issue with the term weekend toy. In this context, <laughs> I mean, someone being quite serious here. I think the idea that, well, electric fuels are going to be more expensive, alternative fuels are going to be more expensive than regular fuels. That's no question because they're all fully synthetic, etc. And they are obviously a better answer than regular hydrocarbon based fuel. Mm. Oh, the ones that certainly get out of the ground. Then I do not want cars or nice cars or weekend toys to be purely the preserve of the wealthy. I do believe that everybody should get a shot of these. And Again, we might be driving electric cars every day, but I don't want all the Ferraris to be sitting in museums and not no, driven. No, but well, this this is from this end of the scale. But I, I I agree with you. I think at the other end of the scale, in a lot of you know, low income countries, that there is still a need for it, and that's where it's going to come into places that run diesel generators, for instance, because this fuel replaces diesel as well. You don't need to do anything; it replaces diesel, replaces petrol. It's the same fuel. So Can you're it running static- a diesel engine and a petrol engine simultaneously. Yes. I'm not simultaneously, but you know what I yeah, mean. Yeah, 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 it can. It can. The so same, the same fuel, same yeah, fuel yeah. can go into both. So it can run static generators. So, for instance, in, in remote camps, uh, places with blackout, where we've got issues right now, for instance, with the with the poor souls in Sri Lanka going through enormous devastation with, with floods and everything else, with generators to power that, it can run on this fuel. You can't have electric I don't think you can have electric or even hydrogen to, to sort of cater to that bigger scale of a disaster at the moment. Mm. So it does open a little window for there as well. So, yeah, lots of opportunities mm. there. And, um, yeah, coming through from uh, firstly from, from Formula One. So, mm. But also as well, it's logical for Aramco as well because mm. as the world's dependence on uh, on petrol reduces, they need to see where the next – big industry for them is and it makes yeah. perfect sense so if they can manufacture it instead of dig it out the ground then their business 
continues. Yeah, yeah. Now, while we're talking, um, segue into F1 briefly, because the other big news last night was that uh, Australian Oscar Piastri will drive for McLaren next year um, after Alpine lost their appeal with the Contract Recognition Board. Uh, amazing that a guy who's a young fellow who's never been in Formula One before can dictate the entire driver market, but uh, he is a genuine talent. He's a, along with, uh, with uh, Charles Leclerc. Um, he is the only guy that has uh, won in their rookie seasons in Formula Two and Formula Three, and the leading into Formula One. So uh, yeah, he's 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 a proper he's the real deal. Uh, Alpine lodged a claim with the board, and a team of lawyers set up to to adjudicate the contract dispute, and uh, and he won out of that. Now the person who did lose out of that was his uh, fellow countryman Daniel Ricciardo, who might actually be out of Formula One now, um, depending on who he races for next year. So we'll we'll find out um, what he's got to say after what he said uh, over the course of the weekend. 2022 will be my last year with McLaren. Obviously, we put in a lot of effort on both sides, but just hasn't worked the way we wanted. Uh, so the team's decided to make a change for next year. So we had a lot of discussions, but uh, in the end, we mutually agreed that it was the right thing for both of us. I will continue to do the rest of this year, absolutely, um, and I'll continue to give it my all. That's that. I think for the the future, what lies ahead, uh, I'm not sure yet. Not sure yet, but uh, but we'll see. You know, I, I look back on this time with McLaren. I look back with a smile. I learned a lot about myself. I think things that will help me for the next step in my career. But I think just in general and in, in life. Yeah, so feeling a bit, uh, bit, bit downbeat on that one. It, it was a mutual agreement, but obviously it wasn't. <laughs> it was, a, it was, a, it was a please leave because Oscar is in there. Where he goes now, um, Alpine is a possibility, but but maybe not because there's talk that Pierre Gasly will take that to form a, an all a French super team with Esteban Ocon and Renault power units to create a, a team there. Mm. Um, potentially at Haas, which would be. On a, on a much, much reduced uh, scale uh, who would, of income. who would he replace at Haas? Because they've got Schumacher. Schumacher's going. Of, he is going. Yeah, is so Ferrari have let him go as a junior driver because he's no longer a junior driver. Mm. Um, but uh, but also, too, um, yeah, Haas are having their own negotiations about power units going forward. And mm. Schumacher is another driver that's on the market at the moment. So It's, it's a soap opera, isn't it, every year? <laughs> I, I mean, this whole Piastri saga has just been so badly handled by everybody involved and including himself and oh, no, uh, I, th- I think he's i think he's actually handled it well because he who's who's mishandled i believe is is Otmar Safnauer from from alpine because he wasn't he wasn't told from his own bosses that mm. oscar was doing this oscar told Renault ceo laurent, laurent messi uh sorry alpine ceo um and also uh Renault ceo so they were aware they for whatever reason, decided to not tell the the, the team owner, which is Otmar. Um, so yeah, but it does create intrigue. And uh, but this is where it reminds me a lot of Schumacher in '91 when he was poached from Jordan by Flavio Briatore to go to, to Benetton after one yeah, race. That's right. Yeah. And uh, there was some some tricky wording in the contract that he got around. So yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah. Let's see. I mean, I don't know about um, Ocon and Gasly. I, I believe they don't get on with each other at all. No. 
and putting two drivers who really don't like each other, that's not worked well in the past in F1. I mean. But the French do like an all-French team, so yeah, that, true, true. There, there is that as well. But anyway, um, that's a little bit of F1 news for you. we got uh, F1, of course, coming up this afternoon with, uh, with uh, more action there. But in the meantime, yes, Motomania with you through until midday, and uh, I'm still joined in the studio with Imp the Shangiata and Noel Ebden. And uh, one of the things I did uh, recently, I went and checked out uh, a showroom here in Dubai that uh, that reads your facial expressions and predicts cars that you're interested in. Um, how does that? I mean, is that just going one step too far in terms of what, what knowing what well, people do about you, know about you, or is that are you okay with this? I, I'm not okay with it, but uh, I'm not okay with most things these days. Uh, but how do you then sell a high ace? I mean, who gets excited about a high ace? I do. Of... I have one. Oh, why does that not surprise me? <laughs> I've had one for 20 years. Do you get say. excited by it? You've oh, just yeah. upset the entire high ace owners club. Seriously, yes, absolutely. Of which I am the president. <laughs> yeah. And only member, yeah. Potentially. <laughs> no, I'm not happy with it. Yeah, I, 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 I don't mind it for the airport because it's a security thing, but anyway... I, I don't know. I can see merits in it, but we'll see. Um, we'll, we'll find out in a few moments because in spite of all the talk about no stock and delays and shortages and then long waiting lists and all this kind of stuff, Alpha Tame Toyota has bucked the trend and they just opened a giant new showroom on Sheikh Zayed Road. And uh, we have a quick listen to... Uh, to, uh, to this one, I spoke to um, Vincent Wanyan, who's the Senior Managing Director at AlphaTame Automotive, uh, for a coffee down there, and uh, he told me all about it. Of course, the decision to, to refurbish and to build the site here was done before some of the, the, the situations that we have now, which is the supply shortage and so on. It's taken, actually, it was quite a short time. It was finished within about a year. It was an existing building. It was completely stripped, but we kept the core. It's not just a showroom because it's a full dealership, so with workshop the big difference is between the previous facility and this one is that it's connected it's one building with full transparency into the showroom and then that way you get a much more natural transparent view uh, from, a, from a customer perspective on uh, on the brand and the experience is much nicer yeah i'll tell you what it's a very different experience when i walked around there there are no desks there's not the traditional office layout it's very non-confrontational if you want to put it that way uh kind of like a slash cross between a library and a, and, a, and a coffee shop kind of thing. Um, the new showroom incorporates online and digital elements to, to create this new buying process. The big change is, is that the showroom is equipped with um, all of the digital tools that we need. And that's relevant because customers now more and more, the buying process starts at home, either on a computer or, or the phone. We believe that making that process as easy as possible, and then if you want to interact in the showroom physically, that that should be as seamless as possible. So what we've done is we've invested a lot of money in our digital uh, platforms. We've completely revamped all of our websites uh, for all of our brands, including Toyota and Lexus. We've uh, got a full uh, end-to-end uh, e-commerce uh, functionality on there, six steps to buy. And that actually allows our customer to even buy the car online uh, without any uh, physical intervention except for delivery of the vehicle. People are doing that more and more, but there's still a lot of people that still want to come touch and feel the car test drives, which you can also do at home if necessary, but in many cases, people still want to come to the showroom. But because of this, this, this website and the e-commerce functionality, you see that, that actually people orientate themselves even further down the purchase funnel than previously. So their decision to buy and to buy what, in many cases, has already been made before they even opened the door of the showroom. And the proof of that is if you look at the number of visits that we have had, for instance, in the first half of this year versus the first half of pre-COVID-19, it's actually a bit higher. 4% higher, 
but the conversion is significantly higher. Yeah, so what I found interesting out of that is that we're talking about the opening of a new showroom and yet uh, we're also talking about there, uh, Vincent was talking about the uh, how well the website works and people looking at online and that's the thing. So I then had to ask him, how does that interact? And he was saying that like, customers will find themselves using the website and then also going to the showroom. I think that is the main reason. It's not the only reason because we've in parallel also changed a lot of our internal processes. We've invested quite a lot of in our people in terms of a skill set of customer interaction in the showrooms and so on. Some of the management is more retail focused than they maybe used to be. The main shift, especially if you look at the, the size of the shift, in our view, it has to be the opportunity for customers to really orientate themselves much further on the purchase funnel than they did before. So instead of just you know doing a car builder, I say, I like that color, I like that trim, and that's what I've got, and then it stops. Here, what you can do is you can actually, what are the finance options? If I trade in my car, what's the value I can expect because that in the six steps to buy you can basically do the whole deal whether you do it online or not is, is a different story but you can actually you are a lot more informed when you go to the showroom than you were before and that helps so so the quality of visits is much higher and therefore the conversion is higher I think that's the main reason about showrooms and sizes of showroom the size of the showroom probably over time can be smaller because if people are buying more online or orientating themselves more online then the role of the showroom is less of the, you know, the, the very early part of the of the purchasing process, and more about closing the deal or doing the test drive. Yeah. So then we also talked about the uh, they have a new subscription online car leasing service that they call Move by Alpha Tame. Uh, car leasing still relatively new in this region, despite being established in uh, many other places around the globe. But so far, he says that three thousand people have signed up for it since last October large number of number of people that are actually really interested in they still want the car so it's not that they saying okay i don't want a car i'll use you know other types of transport but they don't want to own the car they still want the flexibility they want the ease of use and they want uh, all of that but not the burden of either owning it this subscription program which gives you first of all it's fully digital no physical interaction whatsoever except for a nice person comes to you, gives you the car on an iPad, you sign and you, you drive. It's flexible. So between one month and 18 months, you can choose your uh, duration of, of the subscription. The car that you pick is the car that you pick. So we have a number of cars available on the subscription platform. That car is the car that you get. So it's not a similar car, it's that vehicle. If you choose during the period that you've chosen to upgrade, for instance, or to change, that's possible. Uh, you know, it's that flexible. And what we see there is coming back to our customers prepared to buy online. Those type of services are growing very fast. It's only restricted by the number of cars we put on the program, um, which is linked to the availability of, of vehicles. Yeah, so of course I couldn't let a car industry chief go without asking about the good old supply chain problems in the region. There's still issues. There's still supply issues. The more complex the vehicle, the higher... Uh, great vehicle, the more luxurious, the more uh, semiconductors are in the car, and those cars are more affected already from the beginning. If you look at the, the Mayak data, first half, you'll see is that the total market is up 9% and all very nice. But if you look at the luxury part market, the premium market, they're down. But that's not because of demand, that's, that's supply-related. If you look at the showroom here, you'll have you know, some cars which we can get and supply, and those are products that are also, depends also on the country where they're manufactured. Uh, manufacturers whether they're affected more or less by it but so it's a combination of things not one for all but there's still issues 
Yeah, so with that, obviously, then comes wait times for very popular models. I know in some markets, the Land Cruiser has up to four-year wait list now with uh, with some of those models. So here, of course, the Land Cruiser 300 is the big one that everyone's talking about. We have cars where we have some stock. We have also cars where the wait time is between one and three months, which I think today, if we have one to three months, it's manageable. And then you say there's still some issues. But for the ones where we really have issues, it can be up to six months because there really the disruption is so big that the visibility isn't there or the volume is, is, is relatively low per month versus the order bank that we've got. And because Land Cruiser was launched you know, uh, last year, we've got a nice order bank for Land Cruiser and that, you know, that in itself is, is, is an issue. We, for most cars, I think it's, it's one to three months is, is manageable, um, but for, the, some, for some specs actually, not for all Land Cruisers for instance, but for some specs, the lead time is longer. And it can be up to six months. And we, we are very transparent with the customers. The customers that have placed orders, we keep them informed regularly. There's not much we can do. I mean, the moment the car is shipped, we inform the customer and the customer is happy to pick it up. Yeah, so of course, as, we, as we're moving towards a greener future here, zero emissions, uh, Toyota hasn't, has not been the, the most active in talking, talking about full electric vehicles. They're focusing on hybrids, um, but they are working on zero emission very heavily as well. And I asked, when can we see more models like this or maybe even a full EV from Toyota coming to the UAE? Since the petrol prices have gone up here, if you just look at inquiries through the website, they've quadrupled. So people are looking for alternative. Hybrids, I think, will grow. And we started that couple of years ago with Toyota and this will just accelerate I think. So new brands are being launched. We, we, we've got Polestar which we just launched. Uh, there'll be some others coming. As more brands come the infrastructure will accelerate in terms of uh, charging because that's the only thing that's holding it back to a certain extent is people are so nervous about charging. Toyota have announced just a couple of months ago that they will have a full range of BEVs. What that means for the UAE I can't tell you to be very honest. They are prioritizing some markets where this is crucial, where you have cafe and so on, so like in Europe. But they've made the decision to go to have a full range of BEVs. But they've also said is we will keep producing hybrids, and they're also looking at uh, alternative like uh, hydrogen, as an example. Yeah, and finally, the current uh, Toyota buying trends. The big change is is that the showroom is equipped with um, all of the digital tools that we need. And that's relevant because customers now more and more, the buying process starts at home, either on a computer or, or the phone. We believe that making that process as easy as possible, and then if you want to interact in the showroom physically, that that should be as seamless as possible. So what we've done is we've invested a lot of money in our digital uh, platforms. We've completely revamped all of our websites uh, for all of our brands, including Toyota and Lexus. We've uh, got a full uh, end-to-end uh, e-commerce uh, functionality on there, six steps to buy. And that actually allows our customer to even buy the car online uh, without any uh, physical intervention except for delivery of the vehicle. People are doing that more and more, but there's still a lot of people that still want to come touch and feel the car, test drives, which you can also do at home if necessary, but in many cases, people still want to come to the showroom. But because of this, this, this website and the e-commerce functionality, you see that that actually people orientate themselves even further down the purchase funnel than previously. So their decision to buy and to buy what, in many cases, has already been made before they even open the door of the showroom. And the proof of that is if you look at the number of visits that we have had, for instance, in the first half of this year versus the first half of pre-COVID-19, it's actually a bit higher, 4% higher, but the conversion is significantly higher. 
Yeah, some interesting stuff there from uh, from Alpha Time, and that was uh, Vincent Wynian, the Senior Managing Director at Alpha Time Automotive, who uh, spent some time with me uh, last week to have a look at the new showroom there, Toyota and Shanks Road Road. And uh, that, folks, is about all we've got time for this week. We have flown through that show, so thank you so much, Jim Deshan. Noel, um, plans for this weekend, very quickly? I am running away from cars altogether. I'm flying off to the Maldives on Monday. Amazing stuff. No? Uh, working on my common gear, I think. Oh, nice. Okay, that's cool. All right, so that's about all we've got time for for Motor Mania. Motor Mania, thank you so much. And uh, do join us next weekend, 10 a.m., for more Motor Mania.